Welcome everyone to the Cup of Coffee podcast with me, your host, Tom Dillon. This has been recorded live at our weekly online meeting and broadcast around the world. And today's topic is a property case study with the lovely Julie Talbot. It's, it's easily our worst title for a talk that we've had. And hopefully that the quality of the content will make up for the appallingness of the title. But it's accurate. I've got to give it that. It's, it's to the point we're going to be talking about property case study. People like property case studies, including me, so get used to the title. But if anyone can improve it, I'd be very welcome. Perhaps we should give more detail about what the deal is and so on and so forth. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Before we get cracking, I'd just like to say by a disclaimer that today is a wonderful discussion, but nothing said here constitutes financial advice. You should always take professional advice before investing your hard-earned cash. There may be the odd unplanned swear word along the way as well. The format for today is that Julie will speak to us for a while, and then we'll be taking questions from the floor and probably a few from me as well. Julie lives and invests from Abu Dhabi, but despite that, has delivered numerous projects over the last few years, both for herself and for investors. Going off bio for a minute, Abu Dhabi was always famous in my head because I think it's where Garfield sent Nermal, the cat that he didn't like in the in the children's books. And I was a big Garfield fan when I was when I was a kid because Garfield was the only grumpy character that I could find. So uh, fit in much more in much more with my uh, my life view. In fact, I think that's probably we don't need the rest of the bio. No, I love it. I'm going to add it. I'm going to add that to my bio. <laughs> yeah, you can keep that. Uh, I'll do the rest of the bio. Come on, we've, we've written it. Let's let's get it in. So the uh, the fact that uh, Julie invests remotely means she has to put systems and processes in place to ensure that the business runs without her direct input, which whilst remaining under her control, which I genuinely find incredibly impressive. That's not part of it. Like all investors, she has um, faced challenges along with the victories and is excited to share a case study with us today. Come on, Julie. Hello, hello, hello. I'm, I'm, I'm liking a new line to my bio. Who knew? Cartoon, uh, cartoon shenanigans from over here. Pretty sure they sent Garfield sent normal to Abu Dhabi, uh, but I might have that wrong. So what have you been up to? How have things been? Yeah, things are good. Things are good, thank you. And I thought I thought I chose this this project today, to be honest, because it's a, it's a simple single let, you know? I know we've covered a few HMOs recently, which are always really interesting and, you know, love doing a good HMO. But... Um, I also do love a good single let. It's a important part of my strategy, has been for 12 years. Sure. So uh, I thought, big up the single let today and would run through one of those, if that's all right with you. That's absolutely great. Like I'm reminded that, you know, like you say, there's not this pressure, but you kind of feel like we do an HMO case study or do like a flat conversion case study. And then suddenly you find yourself doing the shard. Um, and then you, there's this, this, this thing about going bigger and bigger. And hang on a minute, like a lot of people, including me, is an important single, that's an important part of my strategy. And they may be a bit like un- underloved at the moment because people think they can't get the returns on them. And hey, depending on what your strategy is, maybe that's right. Maybe you can. But for a lot of people, you know, the capital growth is great. And, um, you know, if you get a decent deal, it can be really good, like bedrock for any good portfolio so yeah like you i think single x can be underloved and excited to run through a single x and there's always stuff to learn even on relatively on the surface of it simple projects and if you've got to, if you've got to turn up with 20 grand or whatever it is like that's that's not simple um that, that's a lot of money potentially at risk so it's important to get it right or wrong mm. um depending on how the, how the project yeah. turns out so i'm in charge of slides today shall i do some sharing yes, please. if you could that would be wonderful yeah, and do, you thank to, you. do you want me to have them full screen out how are we going to do this so let's, let's see how it, whatever we'll, you can figure out to be honest i sometimes struggle with the whole full screen thing so given that you're being techie tom today uh whatever you can do <laughs> it's, it's good to do something useful for my own, own, own podcast and uh and meeting for once let's have a look <laughs> Uh, I know it's not amazingly great for the podcast listeners, but to be honest, it reminds me of the points that I want to mention. So uh, that was why. I'm sure for our there podcast we go. listeners, you'll be talking through, you'll, you'll talk through what's on the slide. So fire away, shoot, let's go. Yeah. Okay. So let's hop onto the first page. What, what I thought I'd do is I thought I'd actually go kind of like beginning to end um, because I'm obviously a, 
a virtual investor. I don't I don't fly back to the UK to do my own viewings. You know, everything kind of everything has to happen without me being present on the ground in the UK because even when I do come back to the UK, it's normally for a family reason. And, you know, to be honest, if I had to schedule a, an event or a meeting or a viewing when I was back in the UK, it probably wouldn't happen because, I don't know, a random party or gathering or, 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 or you know, personal commitment would happen. So even when I am back in the UK for personal reasons, I, I don't actually tend to do anything property related apart from come to Cuppa, to be honest. That's the only thing that makes it onto my schedule to come to Cuppa um so yeah so I thought I'd cover um I'm going to jump on to the second to slide number three which is the picture I'm going to talk about the kind of like the the beginning to the end of the story of, of this house from kind of like how we sourced it through to through to how it was tenanted getting a sneak preview on all sides there Tom. so this was the uh the simple single let uh the three bedroom a three bedroom terrace for my single lets I I always tend to like to do two bedroom or, or three bedroom terraces or semi-detached really simple my target tenant profile for these types of properties is is families you know long-term long-term rental properties so in terms of how, how this one came about, something that I always believe in is I'm, I'm always in, uh, I believe in momentum, for want of a better word. You know, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always buying, you know, some people say it might not be a good time to buy now or it might not be a good time to buy in six months. But I find, I don't know if this is, is something that helps me as a virtual investor or, or hinders me, but I find I always like to be in momentum because when I'm in momentum and I'm doing, you know, deals, as long as I'm always doing something, then I'm, I'm meeting people and I'm, and I'm talking to different people. And I just find that opportunities, you know, come along that way. So my my primary strategy for sourcing is, is right move. You know, there are just oodles of, of deals on, on right move. Um, I know there's all sorts of different ways to source property and I've, I've tried them virtually and they do work. But simple is really important to me and I like to keep it simple. So right move is my main strategy. But this property came about because somebody who... Um, who was actually doing a some project management for me said uh, he was offloading some of his houses and wanted to sell and was I interested at which point I was like yeah I'm interested you know some of the details so he had you know various personal reasons why I needed to sell we struck upon a deal and I I, I wouldn't have come across this if I hadn't been you know buying through through right movement this is what I find opportunities just tend to um tend, tend to come to you when you're always in, in momentum so if we jump onto the next slide, it was a simple, you know, relatively simple sort of um, property. Uh, you know, it is in as in what I mean there is, you know, it was in all right condition. It wasn't, it didn't need a complete overhaul. You know, it was, um, you know, needed needed some needed some light works to it. Obviously, a, a bit of uh, a bit of fence work. So we negotiated and struck upon um, 79, 79 and a half. He recognised that it was higher value than that, but I don't think he really had an appetite to put it on with an agent and things like that. He'd worked with me doing some project management. So there was some kind of like, you know, he, he'd project manage one of my other projects, should I say. So there was some trust there. He knew that if we agreed a price, it was going to go ahead and he wasn't going to get messed around. So I suppose some reciprocity there, it, it kind of, um, it kind of, it kind of what worked, worked for both of us. So, I've kind of like I've noticed myself as I go through these, I'm going to pull out the lending, the the learning, sorry, each stage. I'm learning from the sourcing process here, or my sourcing process, I suppose. You know, I always like to be in momentum, always doing at least one one property, and then I'm always open to whatever you know offers or opportunities come along. You know, if someone says to me they've got something they're selling and it's off market, I'm always going to say yes. I'm not going to say oh no, I'm not. I'm not looking right now. I'm just you know always going to be open to um to opportunities. 
Um, so in terms of this was fun, how this was funded then, I thought I'd just cover how, um, how it was funded in, in the first, intro, first instance. He wanted a relatively quick sale. You know, that was part of the, part of the benefit for him, I suppose, of, um, or part of the reason why I was happy to go with a lower price. So I, I was able to fund the purchase through investor, uh, private investor financing. So we could so we could be a cash buyer basically. So it worked for worked for a private investor. So basically a private bridging loan, I suppose. And it worked for, you know, it it worked for me as well because we, we secured the house at a good price. So if we jump onto the works then. So in terms of what my you know process then is when we've agreed a when we've agreed a price, the next sort of like thing is to work out what needs to be done. And I like to get an independent a totally independent view of, of, of what needs to get done. Obviously, I get all the houses viewed independently, but to get a, an independent schedule of works, I, I went and got a full full building survey, uh, full building survey done. Now, being you know being virtual, I am very aware that um, I don't want to be over relying on different people that, that I work with. So I'm always you know looking for not necessarily different suppliers for things. I don't want to make, make my life difficult, but I'm always, you know, uh, just trying to make sure that I've got multiple people that I can work with at each stage of the process. So on this one, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll try something new. I'll try a new surveyor for this one because I've, you know, my previous surveyor had done a lot of, uh, I've done, I've done a lot of my surveys recently. And I just thought, you know, I had a bit of risk there in that if he went on holiday, then I'd be waiting until he came back from his holiday to get a survey done. So I thought I need to have a second, a second surveyor. I had a few people lined up who I wanted to work with, and I decided that I'd go with one of them on um, on this one. So we've got a full building survey, and I, I love I love full building surveys because you can you can pull out your scope of works, um, you know, from there or make a judgment on, on on which things you want to do. I have found it's quite important to check what the survey format is because some people for example color code like red amber green they're the works that are needed some people don't necessarily prioritize the works that are needed but if i love the ones that are color coded because it makes it really straightforward then to you know pull out your scope of works because you know that you can address the red items and the amber ones you could think about or schedule further in, in the future after research so we got a full full building survey done Pulled out the uh, pulled out the scope of works from that. Um, like I say, I tried I tried a new surveyor who I hadn't hadn't worked with on on this one. Uh, so it's good to see you know a different format of report. And yeah, just have you know have have try, try out somebody different basically. So the purchase then went went ahead in quite a straightforward way. I decided to do another experiment, to be honest, on this one. And for the same sort of reasons as why I tried a different surveyor, I experimented then a bit with um, how to get the refurb done. So normally, I always instruct a project manager for a few reasons. First of all, because it just makes life, you know, straight, straightforward. I think that, you know, if you're going to set everyone up for success, uh, if you're going to set the refurb up for success, then it's important to have a project manager on the ground, you know, doing the project management role, which is managing the time, cost and, and quality. I've, I really don't believe that you can do that from afar. But I'd never actually done it from afar. And, uh, you know, I also don't like making assumptions. So I thought on this one, because the works were, you know, smaller than usual in that it wasn't a whole house refurb, but it was, uh, you know, just quite, quite tactical. I thought that I would do the, the project management and, you know, coordinate with my, with my ground team, you know, being on the ground when a physical presence was needed. Just, yeah, just to see how it, how it would go, really. What, what happened next? So we had a really clear scope of works. 
when we came to actually start start the refurb, we realised a couple of things. Um, first of all, we knew there was a we knew there was a problem with the ground floor in that uh, there'd been a leak on a radiator and the ground floor was a bit a bit springy. So we we were prepared to maybe replace some joists or replace some some floorboards. Sorry, not not joists. But then when we actually took back all the carpet and you know started to really look at the floorboards and and, and look at the joists, it sort of it became apparent really that there'd been a lot of damp damage to a lot of the floorboards, and and at that point we had to make a bit of a a bit of a I don't know if you call it a commercial decision or just a decision on the scope of the refurb, which was, you know, we could we could make do and we could just, you know, replace some of the floorboards um, or we could just go all out and replace all the joists and all the floorboards and the subfloor as well. Because there, had, there was a few patches of damp, which, you know, we we're going to treat. But when we saw the subfloor, it kind of became apparent that what was going on there was probably causing some of the damp in the house. and would really get at the root cause. So obviously that's a pretty big job, right? You know, taking out your floorboards, taking out your joists, digging out your subfloor, putting it all back in again. But because my strategy is, you know, long-term, to hold properties long-term, to have families in there long-term, I kind of like thought, well, this isn't the type of thing that I could do in between tenants because my aim is going to be to get a tenant in who's going to stay for a very long time. And I wouldn't want to do that when a tenant's in. Because we also realised that was the source of the damp, we thought, well, you know, if we do this now, then it's going to make the house a nicer house to live in and a nicer house with a nicer home, which means, happy, you know, happy tenants. And, that, and that's something that's really important to me. So a bit of a rambling way of me going ahead and, and deciding to um, take on the cost, which exceeded our contingency for the, for the job of doing the, um, of, of taking on the, taking on the subfloor and digging that all out. And we found all sorts. <laughs> we found all sorts in the subfloor. We found bed frames and lots of post-war metal and uh, and things like that, which had been used to fill the void. So that was quite interesting to get the pictures back, you know, each week of progress and all the curious items that had been found filling the underfloor void. So that was the, the sort of the the fun on the on the refurb. Aside from that, we um, we put in a new kitchen because the kitchen was, a lot of the doors were damaged, the shell was damaged and it had been damaged by damp basically. And we just thought, you know, it was, it just wasn't fixable. And given that we knew we'd got to the uh, root cause of the damp, we had always planned to put a new kitchen in actually. And then it was, you know, paint and, paint and decorate throughout really. And new, new flooring. And I think we needed a new front door and a little bit of external works uh, to the back as well. So yes, yeah, so the refurb went went ahead. In terms of me, in terms of me project managing it, it, I do I do like to try things, and it did. It worked well in some respects. In terms of you know, I was communicating with my uh, ground team who would attend every week, but it it didn't it didn't really work. Oh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it again. It proved to me that I wouldn't um, I wouldn't virtually project manage a refurb again because. I guess it proved my hypothesis, really, which is that you're not you're not setting anyone up for success. You know, the um, the builder was then speaking regularly to my ground team, but decisions were having to come to me to get escalated. So there was obviously a bit of a delay there, and yeah, it just it, I just don't think it made it easy really for for either the build team or for my ground team. So um, I, I just made the decision that you know I, I wouldn't be virtually project managing um, a refurb again. And this was project sixteen. Um, we're on project twenty five now. This, this was project sixteen. So um, I suppose one reason why I was 
comfortable trying it was because we're 16 projects in, you know, and I just thought, I, you know, I just need to know. Um, so that was a really big, a really big learning for me there. And I'm, I'm glad that I did it. And yeah, we won't be, won't be doing it that way again. If we jump onto the next slide, please, Tom. Uh, project management, um, I mentioned, we had some scope decisions. So in the end, we ended up spending £9,000 to get everything done which was over our initial budget, but, um, you know, we're still, we're still comfortable. We're still comfortable with that sort of spend knowing the, the products that we'd uh, get out at the end of it, I suppose. Now, the timing at this stage became a bit curious because the project finished perfectly in time with lockdown starting. <laughs> so we entered lockdown with a property to let, which became a uh, fun position to be in, should we say, because. Uh, well, yeah, everything just everything just changed at that point, didn't it? You know, doing viewings, could people move? Couldn't they move? So in terms of what we did, to be totally compliant with all of the, you know, restrictions and distancing and things like that, we got a video made of the property. So the person who did the video was obviously able to attend, totally socially distanced. Uh, we put put the video together like a, walk, a walking tour type of thing. And then uh, I decided that we wouldn't, we wouldn't, do any any viewings basically that we'd view from the you know view from the video if people then wanted to drive to the house and see it you know from the outside then they could do but just to take out any risk or complication of, of you know doing viewings in those early stages of lockdown when you know it was all just yeah it was just a bit difficult wasn't it we we shared the video people who were then interested uh, we sort of shortlisted we you know if they wanted to view, then we said you need to view the property from, from the outside. Uh, but everyone was comfortable, um, you know, from the, in the, the video was, I don't want to say it wasn't edited, but it was very, very clear that it was a wrong seal video. You know, what, you, you got what it said on a tin type of thing. Um, you know, it was someone walking around and, and, and talking about it. Um, and it was clearly a, a newly refurbished house and, and we're showing everything. So we had quite a few people keen to proceed and then we moved somebody in during one of the different stages of lockdown. But again, we managed it in a, in a totally socially distanced, totally socially distanced way. Uh, they were happy. We got a garden and we were happy because there were, you know, long term tenant family who, yeah, were really, really happy with the new home. If we jump on to the um, next one, Tom. So just in, you know, in, in terms of, you know, as you can see, in terms of the spec, you know, it's white white walls you know white high gloss kitchen uh i like to go for the gray grout just to keep you know just to keep any keep cleaning easy and it doesn't tend to get damaged or to need uh re grouting as quickly and um yeah just kept it just kept it sort of straightforward so that the tenants got a blank canvas that they can they can you know make their own home really if we move on to the next one, I think what I was going to talk about next was um, was was the rent. So we achieved five eighty five rent for the property. I'm always it's always an interesting decision point I find when you're you know setting setting your rent. So you could go you know high high middle or low, and we we you know we could have listed it for higher than this. You know looking at other properties in the area, there were other properties that were higher higher rent. But my sort of position on this is I'm I'm looking for somebody who's looking for a really long term home. And where my experience has been, where we've let properties, single lets at a top end of the market type of rent, then they've tended to, 
you know, attract tenants who've maybe stayed for a year or two, who then who then moved on maybe because they're only in the area temporarily or it's been a stepping stone to a purchase or, or something like that. So I tend to like to go, you know, middle middle of the market really and attract somebody who, you know, who can build it into their budget and it be a long term, uh, long term home for them. And that that's what we did here. And, you know, we were happy with the with the rent that we achieved. So in terms of the uh, in terms of the numbers then, from from my perspective, this was a really it's a really it's a really great deal. It was a you know a great purchase price. In terms of the gross yield, we were on seven over over seven percent. We were doing the you know buy refurb refinance type of model on it, and we had ten percent of the total purchase cost left in, which is something I'm you know I'm I'm really I'm really comfortable with. You know, it works to my template. Like I say, I'm always keen to be doing doing a purchase. And in terms of cash on cash return that we're getting, it's around about the 20, 21% uh, mark or something like that, which again, works really, really well for me. So I know a property case study is probably a boring title, but for me, this is a, you know, bit of sweet deal. And one of the main reasons why I love a good single lot. Tom. What do you think? Thank you very much, Julie. Uh, is that the, is that the last slide? Shall I stop sharing? I think so. I think I've put the, some of the numbers up, uh, written them down. But oh, there, we go. there we go. There we go. My husband. Yeah, yeah. So slide. surveyed. We had some. We had some from the survey. Surveyed at one fifteen. There were local comparables at one twenty, one thirty, which you know to me means you know if we wanted to flip it in the future, we could do. But you know, so the survey was lower than we anticipated it. I've got ten percent of the you know total spend left in. 21% cash on cash. I'm I'm happy. I'm really happy. That was a great deal. I'm going to start because we're those of us in the meeting, they're looking at the numbers and we'll explain the numbers audibly for those who are listening. And this one's for my pal chap, um, who whenever we do a case study will just hammer me about the numbers if I don't if I don't do them properly. So chap, this is for you, my friend. So numbers wise, you bought it for 79. What have I made that up? 79,500. We, we, we got the old 500 and he wanted nice. more than 70, whatever I offered, and I wanted less than 80. <laughs> so everybody wanted 79 and a half. Let's yeah. call it 80 for our, it's not 80, but let's call it 80. For this. So we bought it for 80. We, yeah. we bought it for 80, mostly. I've not got <laughs> I've not got any shares in this, unfortunately. And then um, you bought it for 80, and then you did 10, nine grand. Let's call it 10 grand's worth of work on it. So 90, 90 grand, all in as it were. And it's worth, got surveyed for 115. Have I got that right? Surveyed at 115, yeah. The comparables are 120, 130. Mm. But, you know, today's view is 115. Yeah, there was, in my experience, often a bit conservative, and that sounds about right. So, yeah. so that seems pretty good. What, how long did you have to wait to do the survey? I left it, it was about about a year. I didn't, I didn't, it was one of those, I just, I just didn't rush it. It was, I had other things going on at the time. And, you know, for me, my priority is my life, really, and that life's simple, that I'm present for the kids. We've always got different deals going on. Mm. So I'm not necessarily going to make life difficult myself to have lots of different refinances going on at the time, along with lots of different refurbs. So it just wasn't good timing for me personally to push the refurb in six months after it was done. Also, the other kind of thing going on then was it was, um, you know, lockdown and stuff like that. So I just decided to and wait a bit before we got the survey done. So yeah, for, for those who don't realise, I'm maybe new to this. Um, you have to wait a minimum of six months, don't you? After you buy something cash and maybe do it up from the date of purchase, you have to wait six months before you can get a mortgage. Yeah, have I got not with right? Kemp Reliance. Oh, not with Kemp Reliance. <laughs> <laughs> Excluding Kemp Reliance. Um, thank you, Andrew. Uh, you know the normal things to wait six months. Hence, so so 
Julie or, or your investor there would have had to leave 90 grand in, which doesn't suit everybody, but, but does suit Julie and or your investor uh, uh, to, to leave that money in, but then to know that it's going to come back on, on, on the end, which is exactly what happened here. Is that is that roughly it, Julie? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we, you know, we're able to do other things in the meantime, um, which, you know, that I had going on and life just stayed, life stayed sensible and didn't get crazy. Well, that's, that's all good. Mental health week's coming up, and that's uh, important to stay to stay sane as well. Cash on cash return. What does that mean? I mean, it sounds easy, but I'm not sure. I'd, I'd know how to calculate it. For example, it says twenty one percent here. So I, I like to look at the cash that's left in after the after the you know mortgage has been repaid. So like mm. how much money is actually left in, which was ten percent of the total spend, and then of the um, so looking at the the rent and I, I deduct your management fees and the provision like maintenance provision insurance and all that so deduct all that from the rent annualize it and then divide that by the uh, cash I've got left in to see basically what what's the equivalent for if I had that money left in the bank what would my what interest rate would I need to be getting to get in the same return Got you. So um, that, that was a brilliant explanation, by the way. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have got it, got anywhere near that good. Um, and, but, and I'm hard, and I'm hard on myself as well because I include ten percent void. I say I include a ten percent, sometimes higher void provision, um, you know, and things like that. So it's mm. um, I take out take out lots of costs before I calculate it. So that's a conservative estimate. And twenty percent means means for, for those paying attention that in less than five years you'll have no money left in that deal in 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 real terms. If you if you like, is that is that exactly? Right? Excellent. All right, let's see if we've got any more uh, slides. No, that's it. So I'll stop nope. there um, so we can all see what's going on. Thank you very much, Julie. Momentum was one of the first things you mentioned and wanting to sort of constantly be active sort of thing. Do you ever feel the momentum slipping and think, holy crikey, momentum slipping? And if so, what do you do to bring it back? Or do you find that once it's got going, you don't, you don't, that doesn't happen? Well, I've always got, I've always got at least one project at one stage of the buy refurb process going on. And then I've got a pipeline of other ones that I'm I'm looking at to to pull in. So in the last, well, since 2017, when we've been scaling, I haven't I haven't been in a position where there's been nothing in the pipeline or nothing in in the purchase sort of like frame. There was a stage where I used to do sourcing for the people. I, I, don't, I don't do sourcing for the people anymore. It's just for me and um kind of a couple of people I'm joint venturing with. So um they've always got something on the go. Yeah, excellent. You mentioned well, single lets. The classic I get when I when I raise the single lets, especially with perhaps new newer investors. Not always, but sometimes. Devil's advocate playing here is, is well, hang on, Julie. This this doesn't work. This single lets. The, the returns aren't, aren't good enough. You know, we need to be doing HMOs to make to make any sort of return. And uh, you know, we've got to type a lot of money for a long time. You know, so we need to be doing yeah more advanced strategies. What what would you say to to those good people? I like to have a bit of balance and diversity in my portfolio. So yes, I do HMOs and yes, I do blocks of flats as well. But I also like to have, you know, some single lets going on at, at the same time. So I have, a, I, have a bit, I have a bit of a ratio. It's probably changing at the moment, but I have a bit of a ratio of like five, five to one. So five single lets for, you know, one of the, one of the um, other, other bigger ones. I'm probably at a point where I'm changing that at the moment. But yeah, I just like to have, balance and having been a landlord for the last you know what 12, 12 years you know market forces change things change but no matter what's happened single lets have always been um tenants have always stayed in hmos sometimes you know like during lockdown for example we had a bit of a movement of people and things like that so i'm glad that i had the balance of the of the two types of properties yeah okay and 
what you've done here in simple terms, and I'm keeping it oversimple on purpose, is buy a house, do it up a bit, put some tenants in, and you know, fit and forget. Well, you know, within reason. And yet, people like me are selling programs, courses on how to how to do that. Why why on earth would anybody need to do said programs? Um, it sounds really simple. Why isn't Why isn't everybody doing this? Or is that is that unkind to you and me? You, you do this, uh, you know, do this for a living. <laughs> no, it's not unkind. And and I work with I work with some expats. To be honest, I work with some expats one on one who want to do similar things, uh, similar things to me. Mm. Because from from an expat perspective, lots of expats are told, you know, that, you know, that it is complicated and you can't do it virtually and you can't do it remotely and you've got to invest in this new build off plan thing that somebody's doing. And I don't want to say it's the easiest thing in the world to grow a portfolio uh, virtually. There are definitely easier things to do, but it's, it's possible. And if you've got an interest in property and you've got an interest in how things work, and for me as a stay-at-home mum, like, you know, I want to be doing something, but I don't want to be like committed to somebody else. Like if the kids are off sick, I'm going to be with them. This, this gives me the, the flexibility to be able to do that. So like, like anything really, it's a, sequence of, it's a sequence of steps. And that's where I think like the mentoring and courses and everything, you know, really come in because you need to know what the steps are. Otherwise you'll make, uh, you'll make a lot of mistakes, but you know, sometimes you've got to, you know, do, and then you learn as you learn as you do, don't you? Yeah, I'm reminded of Steve Jobs' things. Like any fool can make something complicated, making it easy. That's the that's the tricky part. And I think the way you've presented it, you know, makes it sound easy. And I think when you get good at something, it can can look easy and hopefully be easy. So yeah, absolutely, um, avoiding mistakes is key. And then it's not actually that hard. I wanted to. We've got quite a few questions and, and bits coming in, which I will come to. Starting with Andrew, of course. After after this next one, where I just wanted to drill down a little bit further. Uh, well. Uh, drill down might be a poor use of um, choice of phrase about the f- subfloor and um, and the soggy soggy floorboards and things. You mentioned you mentioned the whole refurb for nine grand, I think it was. Um, did, and that seems to include changing the whole floor, which seems incredible value. Um, have I got that right? And if so, like, how, how, if you don't mind me asking, how much was it to change the floor? Because that sounds like a big job. I think it ended up being. I've had. I've had around about this same time. We had another project which needed a new floor and a new subfloor, and I was just like, "What is it?" Like I've <laughs> been doing property for like years, and I've never had to replace a floor and dig out the subfloor before, for heaven's sake. And now I've got two at the same time. It's like buses. So it ended up being. I think it was two and a half thousand pounds for the for that specific part, and it was mainly it was mainly man hours to be honest because. Mm. It, it was really it was really difficult for the builder because he couldn't get a wheelbarrow in um to to wheel the stuff out just the way the the layout of the property so it had to be all dug out and taken by buckets and it was just damp soggy earth and um some a lot of foam filler and like i say random bits of metal in there so it wasn't it wasn't a nice job but it was mainly labor really and then obviously you know the, the, the beans and the joists and all that putting them back um which the wood cost Okay. And again, just costs for anyone. I know it's a question I get a lot, you know, people want to know specifics. Um, so if you don't mind me asking, how much did you pay for the structural survey? She said that, would you think that's worth paying the extra? I think there's three levels of survey, isn't there? Well, yeah. At least three that I know of. Very basic sort of survey. And then what's called the home buyers in the middle, I think. And then the structural is the usually the bells and whistles. Yeah. Um, and some, but, people, some people call it a building survey. I often get like, I, I don't know, I always have to triple check when I book it in sometimes people have booked me in for the home buyers i'm like no i want the most expensive one i normally pay between five to six hundred pounds for it uh, depending on which which surveyor i go with and that includes that generally okay and, and you you said in your presentation you, you thought that was worth it 
Yeah, I think it's worth it because the home buyers, I mean, to be honest, I can price check the home buyers, but what's that? Is it like 300, 300, 400, something yeah, like that? Yeah, thereabouts, I think, depending on, on your area. And, and the way that I see it is, you know, for, you know you're spending tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds on, on an asset. Why not spend an extra couple of hundred quid to get a full understanding of the assessment, a full understanding of the of the building? And the amount of times I've referred back to a full building survey, even years in the future, like, you know, something will happen with the roof two years after I've bought the property. And I'll go back to the building survey and say, well, nothing was mentioned in the building survey, or even it says in the building survey that the roof is X, Y, and Z. So therefore, we do just need to do a fix. Like, no one's going to be, you know, even suggesting that we need to put a full roof on because I know from two years ago that we're, we're quite far away from having to do that. So I just find it gives me a lot of comfort and I refer back to them a lot for an extra couple of hundred quid. Excellent. Let's go. Uh, got loads of questions here. Chris simply says, great presentation, Julie. So thanks for that. Um, decent <laughs> return on investment. Well done, Julie, says Arvinda. And Neil asks, what were the bridging costs? I don't think there were any, but there may have been finance costs, but I don't think there were any bridging costs. And, and what was the LTV on the mortgage, if, if, if you don't mind sharing that? Yeah, loan to value on sub, because it's private investor loan, there was no extra fees apart from what we'd agreed. And in terms of the um, LTV, when we put the mortgage in place, it was 75% loan to value. There you go. Charlotte says, I think it's going to get answered a bit later on, but I will say anyway, because Charlotte's been kind of typing in. What product do you use for refinance, considering the fact you're not in the UK? I understand that could be restrictive when trying to get mortgages. Yeah, there's, <laughs> I have lots of I have lots of fun and games with mortgages, but uh, it was a it was a mortgage. It was a you know just straightforward buy to let mortgage that we got on this one. There we go. Kathy asks, uh, how do you hold the properties, Julie? And if you don't mind sharing, is it is it is it your name? Yeah. Yeah, so com- a combination really. So I've taken tax advice from the start as to you know what what I need to what I need to bear in mind. For each purchase, it's always a decision point. You know, is this one going to be an individual name or is this one going to be in a limited company? For this one, it was a housing limited company, which is what made yeah, what made sense at the time. Thank you, Howard. Your shares, not a question, but just says two thousand five hundred sounds similar figure to, to one of his sub four challenges. Um, that's about four by five meter room. And the second was more is it needs new steel beams as well. So that can add cost if you need some steels in there. If we don't, we seem to be doing lots of practical advice for people today, uh, which is good, I suppose. In the case study that stuff and what comes out of these uh, these wonderful sessions, we just got charged. You got, you got quoted fifty quid a square meter ish. It's actually about forty five, but by the time you've added some extra bits and pieces in for scaffold and whatnot, forty five quid a square meter seems to be the current price for pointing. Uh, so we we're having a hundred meters of that done uh, at four and a half grand to put some wow. to put some ground between some bricks. Did you have any uh, final thoughts on today's deal, Julie? No. Thanks for having me on, Tom, and thanks for taking over my tech challenges today. Thank you for coming to speak. Really, really good. Great to have uh, Julie to speak to us. Always a pleasure and privilege. I'm always, as I said at the start, really inspired to uh, buy someone. I struggle to invest from here. Um, uh, where, you know, I can go and be, be somewhere in 20-minute drive. Really difficult to sort of appreciate for me, and I imagine others, um, are, are some people on listening on the podcast and, and watching um, don't live in Manchester, but I find it really interesting challenge to try and do that from, from afar, and, and one that I might do in the future. I might you know, want to go on live elsewhere and so i'm trying to learn from julie i think there's a lot to learn from people like julie who are able to do it from from a distance it shows it's possible and um uh, but i don't underestimate how challenging it is and um yeah i find it inspiring tune in uh, tune in next week i'm not exactly sure who will be joined with next week but i've got some irons in the fire so uh, that'll be exciting 